Good to see y'all. We got a great crowd here today, and I'm looking around. I'm noticing we've got a number of visitors with us. I'd like to echo what Alex said uh, during our announcements. We're excited to have you as a part of our congregation. I see Paul Kidwell sitting right over there. Don't listen to anything Paul tells you about me from my childhood. Just tell him you don't want to hear it. It's not going to be good for you. Uh, don't be going around telling stories, Paul. It's good to have you. Good to see you. Uh, we're excited to have all of our visitors with us today. I see that we have Tori's parents visiting. Uh, they're still married. It's still working out. We're excited. Um, and others as well, we're glad to have you here. If you haven't already done so, please fill out one of those visitors' cards. We'd love to, to know that you have visited with us today. Um, all of our regular members that, that know me know that I, uh, I struggle with filtering what I say. Right, Benjamin? There, there are some of us who have a personality such as mine that uh, has a tendency to speak really well, uh, well before our brain kicks into gear. And for those of us that have that struggle, it's real. It is a real, real struggle. Some of you don't have that struggle. Well, good for you. That's not, that's not your struggle. But you have other struggles that perhaps us who speak before we think that we don't have. That's just the way life is. We're all made differently. Uh, I heard a comedian say uh, sometime back, it really resonated with me, and I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's me right there. And, and I'll kind of recount a little bit of what he, what he said. One of the things what, that he said was, you know, one of the big problems with talking all the time is that you don't always have someone with you to go, shh, don't say that. Now, that's why we get married, right, Andrew? We get married so our wives can, you know, give us the elbow right in the side to hush us up. And the comedian went on to say that he, he thought, and I think it's a great idea, that wouldn't it be great if all of life was really like acting for a movie production? And, uh, you know, on down the line, you're, you're doing something. Imagine all the things that you could fix if life was like a movie production. You bump into someone you haven't seen in a long time, and you go, oh, hey, how are you doing? Whoa, you look pregnant. Are you pregnant? Cut, 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 cut. Um, no, 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 no. Let's, uh, let's go back in and come back out and try that a little differently next time. That would really be beneficial, at least for me, uh, if all of life was like that, where someone could say cut and you could get a do-over uh, with something that, that you've said. Words can be dangerous. Words can be beneficial and edifying. And here lately, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about about how, how we use our words, what we say, when we say it. Um, and, and so I've actually prepared a series of lessons. Bless your hearts. Y'all are about to get a big dose of Brent. Some way or another, the schedule worked out. Uh, I'm going to be preaching every other Sunday for the next two months. So you're going to get me uh, three more times after this one. And what I'm wanting to do with my lessons is talk a little bit about how we use our words. And the, the one that I've chosen to talk about today is the give and the taking of criticism. Now, again, like I said just a moment ago, our personalities are all different. And so some people are less critical than others. Am I right? We're probably all thinking of someone that is very, very critical, and I don't want anybody pointing fingers or raising hands. And then there are those of us who deal very well with taking criticism 
And then there are those of us who it crushes our spirits, uh, or it makes us incredibly angry, or it makes us really indignant uh, when being criticized. And I really think that there are some better ways to handle criticism, and I think there are some better ways for us to dish out criticisms. Before we go into that, take your Bibles. Now, we're going to come back to our scripture reading that Dean read for, for us a moment ago. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But uh, to start off, let's read a passage from James chapter, uh, chapter 3. And let's look at verses 3 through 12 as James explains to us uh, how, how powerful, how dangerous, and how strong our words can be. James chapter 3. Uh, let's read together verses 3 and following. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which through uh, that I'm sorry, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil Full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. And this is an eye-opening passage for us as we think about how powerful our words and our speech can be. And I think it's important for us from time to time to take God's Word and look at the Scriptures and remind ourselves of maybe some changes that we need to make in our own lives concerning how we deal with each other with the things that we say. So that's, that's the direction that, that we're going that I want us to take a look at. In the coming weeks, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, um, we'll talk about honesty, we'll talk about compassion, we'll talk about knowing when to speak, not to speak, we'll talk about rumors and gossip and backbiting. These are all things that are done with our speech. So what, what is criticism? If you want a, a definition of criticism, the boring thing to do, but Criticism is to consider the merits and demerits of and judge accordingly, to find fault with, to point out the faults of an individual or something. This is something that we do every day, probably, in our normal lives. It, criticisms are everywhere. We as parents, we criticize our children. You know, when they, when they do something wrong, we let them know they've, they've done something wrong and they've made a mistake and they need to correct it and to fix it. That's a criticism. We do it as an employer with our employees. Our employees make some mistakes. They do some things wrong and they have to be corrected and sometimes even reprimanded just as a parent does a child. Those are criticisms. We do it with our friends. 
Sometimes we criticize our friends because it's fun, you know? We, we, we you know, poke, poke fun at them. We do a little jab here and there. Sometimes we criticize our friends because they actually need it. We're their friends. You know, we, we love them, and therefore we, we criticize. We as Christians criticize. That's a lot of what a preacher does when he gets up in a pulpit, is he does a, a little bit of criticizing, telling us things that we need to change in our lives. That's exactly what I'll be doing up here this morning, is instructing us on some changes that we need to make. That's, that is criticism. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we would probably all come to the same conclusion that we really don't like being criticized. It's not, it's not the most enjoyable thing to experience when you've done something you shouldn't have, or there's something you could have done better, and someone comes to you and tells you, hey, bub, uh, no, yes, this, this is yes, and that was no. It's not a fun feeling. We don't, we don't really enjoy it. If someone criticizes us that means perhaps in our own mind that they have found or think they have found some fault within us. And when we realize or think or are told that we have a fault, that's not a good feeling. We don't, we don't want to be at fault. We want to be right. We want to be good. We want to be talented. We want to be exceptional. We want to be accepted. But when people criticize us, we feel that a fault has been found within us. None of us like to admit that we have faults. We, we don't want to admit that. However, regardless of whether we like it or not, at some point in our lives, we're all going to face criticism someday. And also at some point, there's going to arise a need for us to be the person who hands out the criticisms. And let me go ahead and tell you, that's probably a little easier to give out the criticisms than to receive the criticisms. Let's just think about that for a moment. Is it easier to accept that you are wrong and do some difficulty in making some changes to be in the right? Is that easier? Or is it easier to find a fault with someone else that you've just come to the conclusion that they need to make a change and just say, hey, buddy, uh, you need to make some changes. Here's what you need to do. That's definitely easier uh, that's, that's a whole lot easier to do than to take the criticism. But what I want to do this morning is we're going to talk a little bit about how we can give the right kind of criticism and how we can be a kind of person who takes criticism in a little bit of a better way. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts 18, looking at the, the interaction that Aquila and Priscilla have with Apollos. You know, what's funny is you've probably read this passage many times before, and you may not have, like I have not have until I was prepping for this, had not really considered this interaction, how something so small and so minute can give us a little bit of information as to how we can be a better giver and taker concerning criticism. So the long and short of this passage, as Dean read for us so well a moment ago, you have a certain Jew named Apollos. He's from Alexandria. He's, he's uh, an eloquent man. He's mighty in the scriptures. Um, he is fervent in, in the spirit, and he began to, to teach accurately the things of the Lord. But there's one problem. He only knew the baptism of John. He did not know the baptism which we are baptized by today, where we are uh, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're, we, we repent of our sins, and we're immersed in water. Our sins are washed away, and we confess that Christ is our Lord. He, he, wasn't, he, he was a little mixed up 
and he only knew the baptism of John. And so here comes Aquila and Priscilla. In verse 26, as Apollos is speaking boldly in the synagogue, you know, he thought he had everything figured out. So he's boldly, boldly teaching in the synagogue. But when Aquila and Priscilla, they hear him, notice what they do. They take him aside, maybe circle that in your Bibles, and explained, circle that as well maybe, they explained to him the way of God, and then maybe circle these two words more accurately, depending on what version you're reading from. They explained to him the word of God more accurately. There, there's some things that I think that we can draw out from just these these three simple things that we have noticed that Aquila and Priscilla did for Apollos. They, they took him aside. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. What, what can we as Christians today gain from this? Well, there's two things I think that we see right off the bat. When they came to, and in essence, what they've done is they're criticizing him because he's teaching something that he shouldn't be teaching, and there's something he should be teaching that he's not. And so what they have done is, in essence, they've given him a criticism. Well, how did they do it? The first thing that I think we as Christians need to do when we're considering to give out some criticism for someone who may be in need of it is to do it with the right attitude, number one, and number two, as we'll talk about in just a moment, to do it in the right way. That may sound real broad. We'll begin to explain this a little bit, a little bit better. But, but if, you're going to, if you're going to criticize someone, you're doing it because you think they're doing something wrong and there's something that you think they ought to be doing right or in a better way. And so when you come to speak to this individual, you've got to have the proper attitude if you want any results at all. And you're also going to have to talk to them in the right way. Have you ever known anyone who's come to give you some criticism and they did not have the right attitude when they came to talk to you about it? How effective was that? Not, not very effective, was it? Or has someone ever come to you and maybe they had the right attitude, but they weren't real good in the approach, and so they didn't really come to talk to you in the right way, and the, the needed effect, the effect that they were going for, didn't work out like they had hoped. Maybe you're thinking about yourself. That, that's often where I end up. I go to someone to talk to them about a little criticism, and I've got this plan in my head. You know, I have a, I have a good attitude, I feel like. You know, I love the individual, and, and then I start talking to them, and I jumble all my words up, and I end up hurting feelings. And I was like, no, 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 you know, I didn't mean it that way. You know, that's, that's something very common and very simple that can happen to each and every one of us. Look with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. We need to remember the purpose as to why we're wanting to bring a criticism to someone. Now, now listen, through this lesson, I suppose you can take it uh, one of two ways. You can, you can take the, the advice that I'm going to be giving you this morning as when you criticize anyone for anything just out in life. I, I suppose this would be quite beneficial to you in that respect. But you can also consider it when you're going to talk to someone about a spiritual matter. And that, that's probably the meat of what we're going to be dealing with here. But I think some of the principles here would really just apply in everyday life. So, so take that for what it is. In Ephesians chapter 4, real small verse here in verse 29, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but... 
Okay, so what kind of communication? What kind of speech? He says, don't let the speech coming out of your mouth be the corrupt kind, but this is the kind that I want coming out of your mouth. That which is good to the use of edifying, that is good for the use of, of uplifting is what the word edify means, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. When you go to talk to someone about a change that they need to make in their life, a, a spiritual change perhaps that they need to make in their life, when you go to talk to that person, what you need to do is, is, is you need to talk to them in a way that is good for edifying and that is going to minister grace unto them. You need to deal with them like a brother in Christ. You need to deal with them in love especially if you're wanting the, the outcome that you're looking for. If you come to them with anger and with hate, I was talking, me and Barrett was driving somewhere yesterday and I was kind of trying to bounce my sermon ideas off, off of him to, to see what he might give me. And I was talking to him a little bit about how when you go to speak to someone and you're needing them to, to make a change, if you come with anger and hate and hostility, you're not going to get the outcome that you're looking for. I, heard, I had a gentleman years ago who... who taught me this phrase, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And that has, that has resonated with me all these years. That's saying that simply be sweet, be, be nice, be kind. Brethren, some of you struggle with that. Some of, you, some of you have a different personality than other folks in the congregation. Some of you, you're just the sweetest, wouldn't hurt a fly, kindest, meek, talking, humble individual. It's just the way God brought you into this world, and that's not one of your struggles. But some of us, some of us struggle with talking to others with hostility and with anger, with unkindness. I want us to, to be the kind of person who talks to an individual with the right kind of attitude. And we do that by focusing on what our purpose is when we talk to someone. Why do I feel the need to give them a criticism? What is the purpose behind it? I'm here to help draw them closer to God so that, that ultimately they're going to be one found safe in the arms of God, someone who, who leaves this life walking in the light. That is my purpose. Is what I'm coming to say, is it going to be a constructive criticism or is it just going to be a criticism? Uh, someone long ago told me, it probably was my mama when I was little, uh, if you don't have anything good to say, I want to finish it, don't say anything at all. I've changed that in my older age. If you don't have anything good to say, shut your mouth. That's, that's what I changed it to. Uh, it feels a little more hostile, you know, uh, drives that point home. But I did hear uh, someone explaining criticisms and constructive criticisms a long time ago, and they were talking about when you come to someone to give them the criticism, if you don't have a solution to the problem, what good are you doing? Does that make sense? If you come to them and say, there's something you're doing wrong, but you're not going to tell them what they need to do right, you're not offering any solutions. You're really not bringing anything new or good or productive to the table. So consider that when you go to give a criticism. Is it constructive? Thirdly, ask yourself this question. Would I want to hear this if I were in their shoes? Or maybe you could change it up a little bit and say, 
Uh, would I want to hear it like this if I were in their shoes? In Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, it, it really does make you take a, a second look at the words that you're preparing to give to someone, especially if it's going to be a criticism, when you begin to think, is this what I would want to hear if I were in their position? Is this how I would want it worded if I were in their position? Now, for those of us who are following Jesus Christ, we're walking the walk, we're walking in the light. Right now, we perhaps have a level head about us thinking that I want to spend an eternity in heaven with the Lord and with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, if I was living a life of sin, I would want someone to come to me and bring me back. Y'all have heard me say that before. That if I ever fall away, I expect every single one of you to, to come knock on my door, send me a text, write me a letter, come by and visit me and encourage me to repent, change my life, get right, come back to the Lord. So when we think about, when we think about the, the need to go and, and help encourage someone to change their life, think about, is this what I would want to hear? Is this what I would need? Put yourself in their shoes. Do it with the right attitude. And that, that's, how you, that's how you criticize someone with the right attitude. You think about the purpose. You think about the constructive criticism. You think about being in their place. But not only do you need to do it with the right attitude, you're also going to have to do it in the right way. When we offer criticisms to people, I think there are some things that we can do to, to maybe eliminate some of the backlash that often is inevitable with criticizing someone. The first one we find here in Acts chapter 18. When Aquila and Priscilla heard Apollos boldly speaking in the synagogues, they didn't blurt out, hey, fight uh, down, Apollos. That is not correct. That's not what they did. I'll tell you one of the most embarrassing things as a preacher or a Bible class teacher that you can experience is someone in the middle of your sermon or in the middle of your Bible class refuting what you have said. And more often than not, especially with me, it's not something that I'm, I'm just up here preaching some false doctrine. It is I have misspoken or uneducatedly given you some erroneous information accidentally. And for someone to speak up in the crowd, uh, that's really embarrassing. And it immediately puts you on the defensive. What they did to Apollos is the Bible, I don't think it's any accident that the Holy Spirit divinely inspired Luke to write it down this way. I think it's there for us to notice that they took him aside. They took him aside. They, they did it privately, you might say. Then they explained to him more accurately the word and the will of God. Do you think that you're going to get a better reaction out of someone if you chastise them or criticize them in front of the whole church, or if you do it privately. Surely y'all all think, like I do, that you're going to get a better response out of an individual doing it in private, if, if the occasion calls for that. When someone is confronted in front of other people, that individual often feels the need to stubbornly defend themselves even if they know they're wrong, just simply from pride's sake. They're just going to stand their ground. Otherwise, they'll look like a fool. Or at least they think. They think within themselves, if I backtrack now, I'll look foolish and stupid. 
So I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to die on this hill. Even though they've already come to the conclusion that this individual gave some really good information and facts and evidence. And I, I know I'm wrong, but I just can't back down. Some people have that personality. You know? That no one will move me once I've said that this is how it's going to be. By taking Apollos aside, Aquila and Priscilla were able to, to talk to him in a much more effective way. Do you think that you're going to do a good job speaking up in front of a bunch of other people, criticizing someone? What I mean is, let's take the person being criticized out of the equation. Do you think that you can do a good job publicly speaking up in front of a lot of people whilst criticizing someone and giving them the information that you think that they need to change? I'll tell you right now, if I had to do that, look, I'm up here in a pulpit preaching to all of you and I struggle with it right now. Can you imagine how difficult it is for someone to criticize another in front of an audience? That's a difficult thing to do. That's one of the reasons that I believe a public debate is one of the most difficult things a public speaker can do. So if you want to be more effective in getting your point across to the person needing the criticism, try it in a more private setting. Take the person aside is doing it in the right way. A second thing that you can do to do it the right way is when you begin talking to the individual on a more private setting, what you might try doing is starting off by pointing out some of the good before you move on into the bad. I'll tell you what, my my father, John Rice, is notorious for his famous talks. For anyone who ever grew up going to church camp with my dad, if you ever got in trouble... You, you remember the John's talks, don't you, Paul? He, he'd take you around, you know, he'd take his arm around you, and he'd pat you on the back. And most times, if you were in trouble, his, his little speech was, uh, little, you know, your two-hour speech, would start off with, brother, I love you. And then he'd go right on into some things that you needed to hear. That goes back to that catching more flies with honey than with vinegar. Try noticing the good before you notice the bad. Let me tell you right now, some of the reasons that there are so many critics and criticizers in the world today is they're looking for something to criticize. They're looking for the negative. They're looking for the bad. And and that makes it difficult to find any good in anybody. So if maybe you're sitting in the audience thinking, this is one of my struggles, I'm always criticizing people. Uh, Start looking for the good in others. Paul did this in Acts chapter 17 and verse 22. When Paul stood up to begin preaching a lesson, he started it by saying, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. That's actually, I guess to the people who are listening, that's kind of a compliment. And that, that didn't shut them down right at the beginning to not hear the rest of what he had to say. Jesus did it. If you go to Romans, uh, Romans Revelation with me, real quick. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus did it when he talked to the church at Ephesus in verses 2 and 3. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, that thou, uh, that thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and, and, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. And then verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. 
He did it with the church in Pergamos. Uh, go down to uh, verse 13, middle of verse 13. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth, verse 14, but I have a few things against you. He did it again a few verses later, down in verse 19, when he talked to the church at Thyatira. Verse 19 says, I know thy works and your love and service and faith and patience and your works. And the last to be more than the first, notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. You know, in every one of these examples, the Lord himself started off looking for the good, pointing out the good, reminding them of the good that they were doing, and then went into the changes that needed to be made. I can tell you right now, let me go ahead. If you ever need to give me some constructive criticism, a compliment first goes a long way for me to be more receptive towards the criticism. I think we could all probably agree that that would be the case with every single one of us. To do it the right way, to criticize in the right way, first you need to take the person aside, look for the good, not just the bad. And thirdly, do it with sorrow and not joy. So many people, they love to be right. And that's, that's one of my pet peeves. Somebody, you know, that's a sign of a lack of humility, a sign of an abundance of pride. Someone who always wants to be right. They just love it. Just love to be right all the time. They are the kind of people who enjoy criticizing others. You know what it does? It makes the person that they're criticizing be less than them because they're in the wrong, and I was able to point it out. I was able to find your fault. Therefore, I'm more educated and, and more in tune with, with life, with the word, with wisdom, because I'm able to, to let you know something that you need to change in your life. We don't need to go to someone to criticize them with joy and excitement, especially when they're living a life of sin. We need to come to them with tears and with sorrow and with humility, as Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. In these verses, in verses 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking a little bit about the first letter that he had written to them. And you remember that first letter he wrote to Corinth. How it was full of corrections that needed to be made because there was sin in their midst. And here in verses 3 and 4, he says, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow over those whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. Now notice verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you, with many tears, that you should be grieved, but that you might know, I'm sorry, I, I miss, misspoke there, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Did, you. did you hear these beautiful words that Paul just wrote? Paul said, I didn't write to you to criticize you and name all the corrections that you made with a haughty spirit, excited about making you be less than me by telling you you should be living like me. No, Paul said, I wrote to you with affliction and anguish of heart, with many tears. And then he even says, why? That you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. When you go to someone living in sin and you encourage them to repent of that sin, you love that person. You love them. Why else would you do it? Now, if you're doing it out of a haughty spirit, you're obviously not doing it for the right reason. Paul says, do it out of love. 
When you go to correct someone or to criticize them, do it with sorrow and tears, not with joy. All right, that's the easy part. That's the easy part. The easy part is me talking to you about uh, meeting out the criticisms. But taking the criticism is a little bit more difficult. Uh, you know, we all deal with criticisms in very, very different ways. We're going to respond to it in, in varying degrees of emotions, I suppose. Some people experience uh, criticism with anger. That, that's how they're going to deal with it. They become angry. This is usually the first reaction that most people experience is anger. They don't stop to think. They react. Their first thought, that's what they go with instead of taking a second look. Anger usually comes about, again, as we've already mentioned, from, from pride. We feel insulted when we are criticized. And so many people deal with criticisms with anger. Some people, the way they deal with criticism is they begin to feel sorry for themselves. They feel shame or self-pity. They begin to withdraw. They begin to think very, very deeply about how they're an awful person. They're, they're no good. They can't do anything right. And I might add that that's probably why we should be a little more uh, lax on the criticisms that we're handing out. Maybe not bombard people with all the criticisms that we can come up with because you can really beat someone down, especially someone who the way they deal with the criticisms is, is they retreat within themselves into self-pity and shame. Some, some people like this, they're going, to, uh, they're going to view criticism as a personal attack on, on their, their being as to who they are. Rather than using the criticism to better themselves, they throw maybe a pity party. Maybe that's how they respond. So maybe it's anger. Maybe it's uh, self-pity. A third one is, is often we're going to shift the blame immediately from the get-go. And we, we see this in kids, Okay. Uh, we also saw it in Adam and Eve. God, hey, Adam, what are you doing with that fruit? Uh, Eve gave it to me. You know, shift the blame real, real quick. Kids do it all the time, especially if you just watch them. They're going to, instead of accepting the criticism, they're going to criticize the critic. That's another way to shift the blame. Why are you always so loud? You're always so loud. No, you're the loudest all the time. No, you're the loudest. That's how kids do. And sadly, sometimes us adults, we react in the exact same way. Maybe we don't do the silly voices, although I like to do the silly voices. It's fun. Sometimes we just, instead of accepting the criticism or examining or thinking about the criticism, we quickly shift the blame, criticize the critic, so that we don't have to take uh, reflection on our own selves. Some people, when they are criticized, they become blind to their own selves. They have a hardened heart. They, they can't even hear the criticism because they don't even believe it to be so. They're in complete denial about whatever it is that they're doing that the criticism just goes in one ear and out the other or maybe it just bounces right off. It doesn't even affect them because they are hard-hearted. People will often make excuses in order, in order to, uh, to justify themselves They'll brush off the criticism simply because they do not care. You know, Jesus dealt with people like this in his day. Matthew writes about this in Matthew 13 and verse 15, where Jesus says, For the hearts of this people, they have grown dull. 
Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Jesus said that I've experienced, he's saying I've experienced those people who took criticisms with, I don't hear what you're saying, just hard-hearted. How should we take criticism? We should receive it gracefully. We should receive it gracefully. In Acts 18, as we read a moment ago, verses 24 through 26, we see that Aquila and Priscilla, they talk to Apollos privately. They explain the word of God to him in a more accurate way. And then you get to verses 26 and following, that he went on to another place. He went across to Achaia. A letter was written to Achaia, exhorting the disciples to receive Apollos. When he had arrived there in Achaia, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. What was Apollos' response to Aquila and Priscilla's criticism? Well, guess I'm not a good minister. I quit. I better just go back to building tents or fishing. That's not what he did. He didn't, he didn't turn to them and say, well, Aquila and Priscilla... You know, y'all aren't very good speakers either, you know. Not very charismatic. No. What he did was he accepted the criticism gracefully. He made the necessary changes, and he kept doing his job. And that's what God expects of us. When when we're in sin and we're asked to repent, as as a follower of Christ, we make the change, and we keep doing the job of living the faithful Christian life. Don't get angry. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't criticize the critic or shift the blame. Don't brush it off. Don't be hard-hearted. If the criticism is valid, swallow your pride and examine that criticism to improve yourself. Now, I should say this. We're We're getting close to the end, so brace yourself. I should say this. If the criticism is valid, examine it and make the changes. But you do know that you're going to receive a lot of criticisms in life that have no merit. They're completely baseless. They're from people who don't care about you. And so what do you have to do? Well, you got to examine the criticism. Think about it for a moment. And maybe if it's unfounded, maybe, especially if it's someone you love and care about, maybe if the criticism they have given you is unfounded, find a time to go and talk privately with them. Maybe, maybe explain yourself and help them to understand the situation a little more accurately. That might be something that you can do, but I caution you, I caution you to understand that, that life is short. And to go around always having to explain and explain and explain yourself to people who don't really care about you, don't really have their, your best interest in mind or at heart, you're just wasting your breath. Now, how do you know the difference? That's really hard to do. You see, Jesus was the master at giving and receiving criticism. We're going to skip some of my lesson here. I'm going to give you the high points here towards the end. Jesus being that master, he was, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Was Jesus ever criticized? You bet. He was criticized by his enemies. 
He was criticized by his friends, Matthew 26, 8 through 9. He was criticized by his own flesh and blood family, John 7, 3 through 5. He was criticized by people who, let's call them dumb people. Not, not people who couldn't speak, but people who had no business trying to give any kind of intellectual advice. You can read some of that in John 7, 41 through 42. He was criticized by people who, who should have known better. People who were educated, people who had been with him, people who had been faithfully following him and should have known better. You know, that happens in the church. Someone comes to us with some criticism that we don't deserve and they should have known better. You ever felt like that? You know, you see somebody in the church acting in a way and you think, man, they should have known better. Jesus dealt with that too. John 9, verses 28 and following. Sometimes this is how Jesus handled it, okay? And we're gonna, we're gonna wrap things up. Sometimes Jesus handled a criticism by giving out truth. You know, he told people exactly what was true and right. That was how Jesus sometimes handled criticisms. And that goes back to what I was saying. If someone's giving you a, a, a criticism and it's unfounded, the way that you might need to deal with it is go and talk to them and tell them the absolute truth. But you know, the second way Jesus often dealt with criticisms, he didn't say anything. Matthew chapter 26, 62 through 64, you see that and it, and it, there the night of Jesus' crucifixion in particular, when asked questions, Jesus remained silent on many of those questions because it wasn't going to serve any purpose to, to answer those questions. Solomon writes in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, which sound like a contradiction. You might want to go in your Bibles to this one and, and circle this. This is a great passage. But verse 4 begins with, and verse 5 begins with, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It almost sounds like a contradiction. Wait, verse 4 says, says don't answer a fool. And verse 5 says, answer a fool. Well, this is some Old Testament parallelism. It was something that was common in the book of Proverbs. And what you have is these are two things building upon one another. But let me sum it up like this. Sometimes there's a need to not answer a fool. You're just wasting your breath. It doesn't do any good. It just makes them dumber and dumber and dumber. But then there's a time where a fool needs to be answered. He needs to be corrected. He needs to be reprimanded. He needs to be criticized. Now, the great thing that Jesus had going for him is he knew the heart of man. He knew the heart of man. He knew when to, to give the, the, the criticism. He certainly knew how to take the criticism, but he, he knew how to give the criticism. Sometimes he'd give it, and sometimes he'd keep his mouth shut. We don't have that luxury of knowing man's hearts. We're not able to do that. Maybe we can examine the critic and decide whether or not they require a little bit of time to give an explanation. Sometimes an answer to the critic will be needed, sometimes not. What we're going to have to do is, is we're going to have to realize that our example as a Christian and how I give, and how I take criticisms, they're going to have a, an enormous effect on other people. When people look at me as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and they see how I give criticism, and they see how I accept criticism, it affects them. I have an influence on others by the way that I do those two things. Many times we can, we can win an argument, but we lose a soul because we feel like we have to be right. I'll close out with this final story. This is a, an old, I don't know if it's a proverb or just some story, <clears throat> but a teacher 
seeing some difficulties that were going on with her class, and in an attempt to try and teach them a valuable lesson, she went to the board at the front of the classroom. She began to write her times tables. She wrote nine times one equals nine, nine times two equals 18, so on and so forth, all the way down to nine times 10 equals 89. The answer is 90, but she wrote 89. And I know some of us are struggling with math. So she wrote 89, and she begins to hear snickering and laughing behind her. She turns around to face the class. She sees that kids are just giggling and pointing, and she goes, what, what's wrong? And bunches of kids raise their hand because they, they know what's going on here. And she calls on one of the students, and she goes, what, what's wrong? He goes, you, you got it wrong. That's, that's not the answer. It's 90, 90. And as soon as this, the student sat back down from answering the question, the teacher began to explain that she had done this to try and teach them a very valuable lesson. You see, in life, the world treats us just like the students treated that teacher. They see us nine times in a row, get the answer right, do the right thing. They see that, but there's no applause, there's no gratitude, there's no thankfulness, there's no bragging. But what they do see is that one out of 10 times that you've made the mistake. And they quickly point that out and they giggle and they snicker and they laugh. Most people don't notice the thousands of times of good things that we do, but they do notice the one mistake. No one is perfect. All of us make mistakes. And sometimes after getting nine things in a row right, Perhaps we still do need a little bit of correction on that one thing we got wrong. Are there any of us here this morning who need to make some corrections in our own lives? We want to extend the Lord's invitation to you. You've heard some of God's word preached to you this morning. Won't you believe it? Won't you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Maybe you have some sins in your life and you want to be forgiven of those sins. Won't you repent of them, confess that Christ is Lord, and if you're not already a child of God, we have a baptistry prepared this morning. We can baptize you into Jesus Christ, and your sins can be washed away. Maybe you already are a Christian, you already are a child of God, but you need to make some corrections in your own life. Won't you please come right now while we stand and sing? My